I've mentioned it to my family, but in terms of telling people like, oh yeah, we're doing this, I'm looking for projects. You got anything, yeah. I'm, I'm not there yet because it scares the out of me. Dreaming of launching your own architecture firm? Well, well, buckle up for a wild ride with Emerging, the podcast that shares what it's really like to start an architecture firm. Where do we begin? We don't even know what type of business to formalize as. Is it an LLC? Is it an LLP? Like how are taxes? I mean, the list is astronomical. Season one featured founders Jeffrey, Lexi, and Chris, owners of Level Studio Architecture, are your fearless guides on this unfiltered journey from napkin sketches to a thriving studio. One evening, stumbled into one last dive, we sat at the bar and pondered our postgraduate futures. Amidst the conversation, a napkin became the canvas for our aspirations, sketching plans and milestones, sealing our heartfelt commitment and shared dreams. In drawing down dreams on a napkin collectively, that (laughs) then, you know, in your head, you've rooted like, oh, I'm connected to these people, like long term. The process of starting an architecture practice brims with excitement and challenges, demanding meticulous planning, flawless execution, and unyielding resilience. I kind of hate the term because it's so overly used, but I think everybody knows imposter syndrome. And I think it's, it's so real to this day. I, I I don't know if it's with everybody, but with me, I'm always questioning like us, can we do this? Are we ready to do this? Are we prepared? Can we do it? Did we just decide a name? (laughs) We did it guys. One that came out of nowhere. It came out of nowhere. I liked it. I saw it. Ready to turn your aspirations into reality? Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Emerging and chart your own path to architectural success. This episode of Spaces Podcasts is supported by Infratech. Bring indoor comfort to outdoor living with Infratech Comfort Heaters. Hello, my name is Demetrius. This is Jason morning and you are listening to spaces podcast express thank you for coming back everybody so we jumped into the air quote bipartisan infrastructure bill our last episode i say air quote because i think there is like a handful of republicans that voted for it and then who were subsequently doxed where uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene put their phone numbers out on Twitter and a bunch of people started sending them hate voicemails and stuff oh, and threats. that's a bad idea. <laughs> so today we're going to talk about essentially was the second half of what Biden was trying to get done. First half was the infrastructure bill and the second portion is the Build Back Better bill. Together, the two of these will combine to create 1.5 million jobs per year for the next 10 years. I'm going to jump into the Build Back Better, but before we do, I want to give a shout out to our sponsor. In the last few years, premium outdoor spaces have become a must-have architectural feature and Infratech Outdoor Electric Heating Systems have become the brand of choice among leading architects. Infratech heaters provide energy-efficient, ambient warmth that allows homeowners to live outdoors during cooler months. 
Clients love them because they can enjoy 100 more nights a year outside. Architects love them because of the unparalleled versatility, from heater capacities and colors to mounting options that can either seamlessly disappear or accentuate a space with beautiful decorative coverings. They're also the only comfort heating company to offer smart home integration and hands-free voice-activated control. For over 60 years, Infratech has made their products in the USA at competitive prices. They offer incredible design and live technical support at every stage of a job. Infratech is specified at the world's most prestigious properties. Learn why and sign up for a free consultation at infratech-usa.com forward slash podcasts. So Jason, one of the things to emphasize with Infratech customer service, and they provide support before, during, and after installation. So if you need help specifying the right system for your project, you can call them directly and they'll give you options and kind of walk you through that process to help you pick the right system for your for your project, which is always helpful. Sure. Um, I know sometimes when you check on websites, it's kind of hard to identify, you know, what exactly is what and how things are going to work within your specific condition. So it's always good to to have someone that you can call directly and coordinate with. And like we mentioned before, they're in the U.S., so they'll be right there to help you with that. So make sure to check out Infratech. Uh, so back to the Build Back Better bill. wanted to touch on some of the major points. Uh, so in total, this bill will be $1.7 trillion uh, and kind of seven points of this bill. First one, $555 billion will be set aside to fight climate change. The general intent is to uh, to use these funds to, to cut carbon emissions by 2030, and the bulk of it will go to clean energy spending, uh, providing tax credits for companies and consumers that install solar panels, improve energy efficiency of buildings, and purchase electric vehicles. It'll also provide financial incentives for U.S. manufacturing of clean energy technologies with the goal that more wind turbines and solar panels will be made domestically through a combination of grants, loans, and tax credits. That was my question, right? So when you when you throw out little things for $550 million for a you know, um, reducing or whatever to fight climate change. Billion. Like, <laughs> sorry, billion. That's, that's <laughs> maybe even more so concerning. And it, and it's like, it's kind of vague. It's like, that's the stuff that just drives me nuts. You know what I mean? It's like for one, okay. You know, we've had the argument about climate change in general and all that kind of stuff and how much of it is it really to be concerned about or not blah, blah, blah. either way. Right. Mm. So it's controversial. It's a controversial topic depending on who you talk to, but then to show again, on a controversial topic that you're going to fight it, but how are you going to fight it? And what are we fighting? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that's, it's kind of like, what's the target you're trying to acquire. And then what's the tactic you're going to take to go after that until you have the target and you can well define what that enemy is. Like how, you, there's, you know, how can you have a solution if you don't necessarily know what the exact problem is? And that's a lot of money to be spending on something that is controversial without being able to say, okay, well, here's what it is we're going to do. Here's why we're so concerned about it. And here's how we're going to take care of it. And that can be controversial, but at least you're like, okay, I mean, at least there's something that's identified, then there's a plan to go after it. Because there's been so many discussions about, you know, 
um, climate change and who's really concerned about it. And is it really a big deal? And it just depends on what group you're in at what time, you know what I mean? Someone's going to have something to say about it. Yeah. I think it's a little bit loose because it's the carrot to encourage companies to advance and make new technologies and things like that. Even worse. (laughs) (laughs) You know, yeah. Like, you know what I mean? I'd like, (laughs) anyway, keep going. Yeah. (laughs) We could could probably spend a whole lot of time on this one. Uh, so the next one, 400 billion for universal pre-K. I'm not a parent, so I can't speak directly to (laughs) direct experience, but my understanding is that having childcare is a huge hurdle for a lot of parents uh, being able to get back to work or being able to get dual income. Um, so you as a parent, you can probably speak a little bit more to this, but yeah, I mean, it's, you know, we're pretty lucky in the situation that we have where that was one of our, my wife's and my um, goals was to not have to send kids to daycare. We haven't had to do that um, in their, in their upbringing so far. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're kind of getting past it. You know, my son's 13 now, my, my daughter's 10. So oh my God, where 13. It, it, <laughs> bro, <laughs> like, let me explain to you. But um, so, yeah, so, I mean, we're kind of past that, but it is a massive hurdle. And I think that's what everybody saw, you know, during COVID time, why honestly working from home became such a big deal because the moment kids, and that was really the biggest topic, right? The moment kids didn't have daycare during the day, meaning we're able to go to school and that kind of stuff, like people were locked up Mm -hmm. um, because what do you do? So there's a, there's, especially in a world now where it, it has evolved in the last 50 years to where it used to be a single income family you know, and have, to your point, you know, live, live comfortably and that kind of stuff to where literally have to, for the most part, be dual income mm-hmm. in a lot of, ma- in a lot of major, you know, places, um, to be able to make ends meet. Um, it's, it's a huge problem. I mean, so I'm a big supporter of that, right? Mm-hmm. Like that makes a lot of sense to me to be able to have universal pre-K available. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know if that amount of money is going to be able to do that, but, um, but I love the step in that direction because that's definitely something for me from a bill perspective that makes actual sense you know what i mean where it's like they're they're actually addressing a very real um tactile problem at the moment mm-hmm. yeah and, and and i think d maybe we'll see the landscape change a little bit more going forward so maybe it's not needed as much now just because you know the advent of work from home has taken place and i think a lot of businesses at the time being even the people you know in the space that we've talked to have said look it may not be going away um you know maybe it won't be as needed but definitely addressed the problem historically for sure well it seems like from the parents that I've seen and stuff on TV, working from home while having kids, oh, is, it's not it, it does not work. No, <laughs> so, I, I so think, you still need that. Yeah, I th- you know what I mean by that is you don't have the problem where you can't afford daycare or whatever. You can be. It's, I'm not saying it's not easy or it's not hard or whatever, but you have at least you have an option at that point. You mm-hmm. know what I mean. Um, for you to do whatever you want. And one of the nice things about a lot of the flexibility of working from home, it doesn't have to be eight to five. You know, a lot of people have adjusted those hours yeah. to, to be more accommodating for that. And when you're talking pre-K, there's that golden nap time, man. Like sometimes <laughs> a couple of days, I mean, it, like you used to look forward to it as a parent. I mean, like two hours or, you know, like I remember when my son initially stopped sleeping, you know, in his three hour nap in the middle of the day or whatever, man, I was bummed on the weekends because you're just like, that was my time, you know? Yeah. Um, so anyways, my point being, at least it, at least it would provide an option, right? Yeah. 
flexibility. Interested to see where you fall on this one. Two hundred billion for child tax credits. This extends the uh, is a one year extension on the pandemic uh, child tax credit, where it provided parents with three hundred dollars every month per child under age six, and two hundred fifty every month per child age six to seventeen. Families that don't earn enough money to qualify for income tax liability will be eligible to continue receiving full child tax credit beyond the one-year period. Um, I mean, I well, for a lot of people, that could be that could be I mean, that could be a lot of money. You know what I mean? Like per kid. So um, I don't know. <laughs> you do get tax credits for dependents as it is. Mm-hmm. Right. So this is kind of in, in, I mean, you know, the joke was if you're going to have a kid on December 31st or January 1st, have them on the 31st. Right. Cause then you can get the tax write off for that whole prior year. <laughs> um, going back to what we said last episode, I think we're overwhelmingly taxed for the value at which it actually provides. So to get some money back on that. Great. You know, I don't, I don't see an issue with that. Um, I think the other thing you get into, and it can be a religious thing and it can be a worldly thing, but you know, if you're, I don't think you're ever really prepared to have kids, mm-hmm. like, like you're never fully prepared, but it's a responsibility. And if you don't know, and you're not paying attention to what it's going to take from a time and, you know, monetary perspective, you shouldn't even be having the damn kids. You know what I mean? Like that, like that's kind of the, that kind of one of the ways I look at it, you got to be responsible enough to know what it's going to cost you mm-hmm. um, to do that. And it's exorbitant. <laughs> <laughs> it really is. And, um, you know, so, so to me, when I, when I look at, and, you know, it's a very myopic view when I look at what we spend on our kids, if you ever look at it that way on a month to month basis, I mean, yeah, 300 bucks a kids is great, mm-hmm. dude. It's a drop in the bucket. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? In comparison to what it really costs you and stuff like that. Um, but there's gotta be some limits on things because, you know, there's some, you know, is it, does that go to the people that have kids on welfare? Does it go, you know, all that kind of stuff. And, you know, so you're double dipping in those scenarios. Like you don't want to incentivize people to have kids that probably shouldn't have kids, you know, all that kind of stuff, which gets ugly and dirty. And you can't always think of those things anyway, because mm-hmm. that's not how, you know, the majority of the world operates. But yeah, I, I'm, I mean, I'm always a proponent of getting some of that money back. Mm-hmm. Always. Yeah. I, I don't really know which way to think on this. Um, like you said, it does sound like it could be a lot of money, but at the same time, I would, prefer to not have kids going hungry or being in bad situations um, where, you know, this $300 could, could make a huge difference for them. It really could. Uh, Next one, 200 billion for four weeks of paid leave. So this creates permanent comprehensive national paid leave program that gives employed workers including those who are self-employed four weeks of paid family and medical leave, which can be used for caregiving or personal illness. So they already have the FMLA act and I don't remember what it like, if I'm saying it correctly or not, but like it's the maternity one, right? Okay. So, you know, when a, when a female, um, you know, it's my opinion, there's males and females. When a female has, (laughs) um, has a baby, Mm-hmm. Um, it used to be, they got so much time off, you know, that was protected, you know, for the employer, that kind of stuff, which I think is, is, is wonderful, right? Mm-hmm. Cause you don't want, that's the biological thing and you need to take care of that. There's also another part of it now, which is like, it's like, um, paternity leave, right? Mm-hmm. So now the, the, the male, um, in that scenario, the, you know, the, the father also can take 
not necessarily paid time off, but it's, it's the same type of situation where they're entitled to take three, four weeks off or whatever it is to be with the baby and bonding and that type of stuff and have a, have a job that's protected. Mm-hmm. I'm not necessarily in disagreement with that. Um, because I think the opportunity to bond with the child and everything like that is amazing. And I had a lot of ways to do that when I was there, but whether people want to admit it or not, these programs, I would say, at least for the dad puts a lot of strain on companies. You know what I mean? Um, because I mean, we've had a few times where we've had several people out and it's like, now you've got other people that are picking up the slack, which is okay. As a team, you kind of want to do that anyways, but for multiple weeks and, um, you can't really get any help because you can't hire that person to fire that person. You know what I mean? And, and, and that type of stuff. So I don't know how that ties in with this new plan, mm-hmm. but I just know there's a lot of strain that that happens. You know what I mean? Um, that I've personally seen that I've had to help pick up slack and do those kind of things as well. So I'm torn, right? Because mm-hmm. I'm in total support of the idea from a humanistic standpoint, but I know what it's like running a business when you have constant absences from individuals and it's a little rough maybe even a little um immature i'll say when i say it's like you know does the husband or the father really need four weeks off you know what i mean like it it, it gets into i think the gender role stuff that it is obviously a a controversial topic and everybody's entitled to their own opinion including me right so mm-hmm. i think i took a week off you know uh, my wife probably would have preferred i take two or whatever mm-hmm. to help and do all that kind of stuff but i also felt i had responsibilities in a different set right so i you know I love the idea from a humanistic standpoint, but I know it's very difficult business-wise to do that. So this will be something separate. So this is for um, your your own personal time to use however you see fit. Um, I think it is a good thing because I think we're finding that people are getting increasingly more burnt out from work. And I think with the knowledge that you have yet you're going to provide this four weeks as a company you can make those adjustments um you know you talk to people to to stagger schedules and, sure. and all those things so i think you can adjust to it but i i do think it is beneficial for people to be able to to get a little bit more time off and this is starting to go in line with a lot of other uh, developed countries in the world that are doing four weeks, uh, standard, I think. And I don't think it's mandatory. So who knows in the United States, we don't take time off anyway. Yeah. Uh, so who knows how many people will actually take the time off, but I think it's good to, to provide that. Yeah. Have that option. I agree. Uh, next one, 165 billion on healthcare spending. So this this will help reduce the healthcare premiums that are under the Affordable Care Act, expand Medicare coverage to include hearing benefits. Um, I don't know. I, our healthcare system's jacked. Um, <laughs> I pay a whole lot of money, ideally for healthcare for my family. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of people that never pay healthcare bills. I think there's a lot been said that's going to be done to help healthcare, but it's not possible. Um, I, I don't know what the solution is. And to be honest with you, the only thing I can do with healthcare is probably pitch and complain. Um, and I, and I, for one, rarely use it. Our family rarely uses it. In, in fact, my wife and, and, uh, one of my kids goes to even a non-Western med scenario, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, I'm not, 
I don't believe that money is going to go and really help anything. <laughs> um, it's private run companies that are the ones that are, that are handling the premiums and that type of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a sliding scale. You know what I mean? I, I would tell you that's money in the trash as far as I'm concerned. Um, that's my feeling. The cost of healthcare, regardless of what anybody says, when they tell you it's going to go and it's going to help or, or whatever, it never has. <laughs> the premiums continue to go up and up and up. So I, you know, I don't know. The is as goofy as it sounds, I actually at one point was a proponent for governmental healthcare. Mm-hmm. Um, but I know there's a lot of issues that come with that as well from a time perspective and whatnot, because just the same as I'll tell you, you know, you're going to get better response when you privatize business. Um, I do believe that's the case, but the costs are higher. You know what I mean? And they don't, it, because it's a profitability scenario. So I don't have the magic mix for that. I don't know what it is. Um, so I've, I've recently been speaking to multiple people in different countries, Spain, Germany, that all have national healthcare. And it is com- the complete opposite from what the opposition of national healthcare say. Like it's a good thing or about it's a good thing. Okay. As in their their taxes aren't that much different than ours. Okay. They don't have to wait for anything. They get right in. Everything is fully taken care of. It sounds amazing. Um so I don't know why it tends to be an issue outside of these companies are in the pockets of politicians preventing it from happening. Yeah, I so what I've heard from people that in different countries, we have uh, families in different countries, right? And I've heard something totally different where they're like, hey, um, you know, it's it's a nightmare to get in and get what I need from a basic standpoint in England, you know, that kind of stuff from a basic standpoint. I In Canada, same thing. I know people that have been in Canada, you know, which is also governmental health care. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, again, I don't know enough about it because I've never really been in the system to have to use these things consistently to understand it. I just know the premiums continue to go up and up and up. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people will tell you part of that reason is because they are here and they can, the, the drug companies and the medical world can, can directly market consumers, the consumers. We're the only country that can do that. Mm-hmm. So maybe that's part of the issue. You know what I mean? Um, I'm not sure. Um, and we also have a whole lot of illegal immigrants that utilize the healthcare system, never pay bills. You know what I mean? So, um, there's, there's been a lot of that over the years and, and I'm not, I'm not, I don't want to necessarily want to deny healthcare. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, that's not what I want to do. I want to take care of people. Um, so I don't, you know, again, I think I may be pretty opinionated on stuff, but I'll, I'll tell you when I don't think we have the right answer, you know, mm-hmm. and, and I don't know what that answer is for this. I really don't. So just to clarify, I, I think on these, uh, on this whole affordable healthcare thing, I don't think it makes that big of an impact on people that can afford healthcare. Cause I tried to go through the covered California thing and I didn't qualify. So those programs that are under the like covered California for us, they're for a specific income bracket. Yep. Uh, and those are the premiums that are getting pushed down, I believe. Okay. So this money will go to help those. And the idea is that everybody that's not, that doesn't have a health care, it'll get to an affordable point where they would get on the health care system and not rack up bills. And maybe um, that'll drop everybody else's rates because there's not outstanding debts and yeah. blah, 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 blah. Right. I'll tell you a private company that was never going to do that. <laughs> they're not going to lower it. Like they're just, why would you, you know what I mean? You're going to, you're going to, you're going to atone to whatever the market will pay. They have to, there's, there's some sort of provision okay. through the affordable care act 
that forces them to provide affordable prices for certain people that meet that threshold. Okay. So I'll take your word for it. <laughs> All right. Uh, last couple, um, $150 billion to expand affordable home care. So this provides funding for Medicaid programs that support in-home health care, helping reduce backlog of people waiting to receive subsidized home care and improve wages prefer- for providers. Um, I know a few people that, you know, our generation around our age that are at that point where they're taking care of or just about to that point where they're taking care of parents as well as their kids. Mm-hmm. So these two things help free them up. Yeah, I don't have a problem with that. I agree. And then for us, for our for our industry, $150 billion for affordable housing. This increases spending on housing affordability, uh, which will go towards building more than 1 million new rental and single-family homes. The bill aims to reduce cost pressures by providing rental and down payment assistance through an expanded voucher program. Yeah, I mean, we've talked about housing before and the thoughts on affordability and all those kind of things. You know, um, I don't think affordability, I'll be honest, I don't think affordability means getting to you getting to pick where you want to live and have affordable housing. <laughs> yeah. That, so I, I think until those things are well-defined um, that's difficult to go with. I mean, you know, and, and I want, you know, I, I don't necessarily need this for me, but gosh, I was able to make life decisions and stuff like that to get us to a place where we could do what we wanted to do as a family. Mm-hmm. And um, I didn't have any of those programs. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it's, you know, it's a question, right? Like at what point, I think everybody needs a fair chance, but, you know, it should also be somewhat equitable, you know what I mean, for for the group as well. And a good example of that to me is, you know, I know it's never going to happen, but when they were talking about the idea of um, like forgiving student loans on school, mm-hmm. I had none coming out, so I don't care. But I know a lot of people that had a whole lot of money in student loans and had paid it off and, you know, honored their debts and all those other kind of things and whatever. Well, it's like, what do you do for those people that went and did it? You know, it's like I struggle with some of those things. I don't mind the healthcare stuff. I don't mind the the pre-K, like, you know, all those kind. of, I really don't mind that stuff at all. But the, the affordable housing thing to me is, is a struggle. Um, and maybe it's done by medium, median incomes in low income areas, whatever those are qualified, you know, maybe it's stuff like that to help, but I, I, I would probably have to study up on that a lot more. I just get worried when you get an imbalance of equity, you know, equitable situations for people. And, I, and I'm not saying that creates the imbalance. I'm saying I'm concerned about that being an imbalance. I, I'm drawing a blank on the words because there's a difference between uh, equity and I forget the other one, but um, I know what you, I know what you mean. Yeah, there's a meme <laughs> about that with the ladders and the people yeah, looking over the wall. Yeah, 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 yeah. So while you didn't have to get loans or you were able to navigate your situation to mm-hmm. to take care of your family, mm-hmm. there are others that mm-hmm. are so behind the eight ball that you know they had a crappy high school couldn't make it into college, uh, didn't have the the right resources or tools or education to understand how to navigate the system. Mm-hmm. Um, there are different situations that are hard to get out of. I think having, having housing is, in my opinion, should be a right. Yep. And oh. yeah, you, you may have to move to different places to get it. Equality uh, and equity. Yes. That, w- that was it. Yeah. Uh, so I think that, you know, providing this, this housing, 
uh, allows people to get into home ownership, which is a, the way that most people make a lot build of money, yeah, mm-hmm. build, build their wealth and get ahead. So uh, opening up those opportunities are important and, and figuring out how to do so, yep. I think is important. Um, and, and I don't know that necessarily moving out to like, uh, for us, Beaumont, is ideal as affordable housing because prior to uh, remote work and you still can't get remote work situations everywhere but if you're living out in Beaumont and you have to commute to LA to your job like yeah I I think I think that's fair I the one thing I would say with that is I can use my parents as an example when they got married they couldn't afford housing in California they grew up in um not Thousand Oaks but like um LA area Mm-hmm. And so they moved to Vegas mm-hmm. to buy a house for the first time. You know what I mean? And then worked another, and they had the real estate market on their side, you know, as a lot of people did that in that generation um, and were able to move back into an outer skirts area. So moved into Phillips ranch from LA, which is like Beaumont to us, you know what I mean? And then, and then moved down the line and finally got back into like orange County and stuff like that. Right. Mm-hmm. So I would challenge that thought a little bit because I think some of it is, people wanting what they want because they want it <laughs> and not necessarily willing to make the, the hard decision to say, well, if I want to get started, I have to make a change or I have to take a chance or I have to do whatever that is. Mm-hmm. Now, in fairness, I didn't have to do that. You know what I mean? So I don't, I'm not the best, you know, example from that perspective, but I did, you know, I am aware of what my parents had to do and yeah. my parents did pretty well through life. You know, but clearly they did very well through life. And I know what they had to do at the initial onset. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? They got married and they had to move to Vegas. Like they couldn't afford to live here in Southern California. Mm-hmm. And so they made that life decision to, to do so. Right. Um, you know, again, my scenario was a little bit different. I was able to go to college and come out without debt. And because of some scholarships I had from high school and everything else, you know what I mean? Like that kind of stuff and worked all the way through college and worked at, and so was able to save up and, and got, you know, got into a townhome to get started. Right. Mm-hmm. And, but that was also me that wasn't going out partying and doing this. Like I made different choices. Right. So mm-hmm. I saved more than maybe most might have. Right. And worked a lot more than, than a lot of my peers did. Right. I'm not saying that's the answer for everybody, but those are two different scenarios that you can look at where someone had to move out and move back in. Mm-hmm. And I haven't been able to make the same changes in real estate as my parents did because the market wasn't anywhere near the same trajectory, you know, because everybody's already here in Orange County and Southern California, whatever. It wasn't a booming area, right? I mean, it's booming, but not not in a growth standpoint like it was 40 years ago, you know yeah. what I mean? 30 years ago. So I, you know, to your statement of, I don't necessarily, you know, you didn't say I don't want to, but like, it doesn't make sense necessarily move into Beaumont. Is that right or not? Well, it, it may not be right. And it may not be what we want but it may be what's necessary if that's how you want to get into the game. Right. So if we go back to what I was talking about before, you know, I think you need to look at it from a median income, median, you know, pricing, pricing scenario, how you put those programs together, you know, that kind of stuff. And I mean, right, wrong or indifferent. That's why a lot of people are moving out of California and going, you know, in our, in our age brackets, going to Idaho and going to Texas and going to, you know, all those other kind of places, because it's just an area that supports a lesser portion of your, income than it does here in Southern California. Subsequently, just like it's hard to live in New York or San Francisco or, you know, I'm sure certain parts of Florida and things like that, right? Where it's like, there's just some astronomical housing pricing and median housing pricing in some areas, you Mm -hmm. know? So I think that will be debated for the rest of the time. (laughs) 
you know what I mean? Like, um, but I can see all sides. Like, I don't, I don't want my kids to move away mm-hmm. when, when they finally get there, you know? And it's, and it's, look, it's no more affordable now than it was when I got in. It's worse. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So you look at it and go, shoot, man, how are you going to pull this off? You know, like it's, it's a problem. So selfishly that program would be great for my kid. Mm-hmm. You know, you know what I'm saying? But um, I'd be torn. And it's like, well, you may have to make a life decision, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, um, I, I don't know. I, I understand all of that, but at the same time, there, there are people that like, I don't want to go to Beaumont. If we had to move to another state, then we would have to do that if we like really wanted to get a house. But yeah. there are people that they can't even move to another state. They can't afford to move yeah. to another state and get a home there. And right. they're, they're receiving these pressures that are basically pushing down like, like there was a point where my family, we had a, a home and the market got so bad that my grandmother ended up having to sell that home. So we, we as a family, my uncle had a house and through the, um, the downturn, he lost his house. Sure. So there's just like all these pressures of yep. losing, losing, losing. Yep. And, and that's still like not even that bad for like yep. our family. Yep. There are people that have received so much pressure. They have nothing. Yeah. And all they do is rent and yeah. that's all they can do. Yep. So when they go to the table to try to get a loan, they don't have anything yeah, nothing, in their name. No collateral. They have, yep. Yeah. So all of this stuff builds up and it, it's just different situations for different people. So, and that's what I'm trying to say. I think there's, I think you need to look at that stuff. Yeah. I think you need to see that and, and figure out what that looks like. Yeah. Um, and move from there. I, Cause I'm not saying no to it. You know what I mean? It's just define the criteria well so that you know decisions can be made i think i think that's what it comes to yeah um so the national the national association of home building uh they went through this as well and and focused in on this particular line item um and they were good with the home ownership investments the housing appropriations zoning and education um because they went through this much more detailed and I guess there's going to be zoning reform that'll encourage uh, the streamlining of new construction and invest in career and technical education, including programs such as job court and youth build, mm-hmm. but their issues are with taxes. Sure. Um, and I don't want to get too much in this. So I'll share this, this link in our show notes. Um, mm-hmm. All in all, I think this sounds pretty good. Uh, where do you fall on the bill in general? Because it was recently approved by the House uh, and is going to the Senate, which is essentially 50-50. It doesn't right. stand a great chance right now, but where do you fall on it? So so from a bill standpoint, I don't necessarily have a problem with the bill. Mm-hmm. But, you know, and I think what we have to look at, though, is how many trillions of dollars are we in debt at this point? And we're literally going to run out <laughs> of money and they're talking about raising the debt ceiling again, mm-hmm. which means you have no money. So the fact that we're saying we don't have any money, which we didn't have any money for a long, long time, because that's why we're in debt. Mm -hmm. You're now going to do this whatever point trillion dollar bill plus the other point trillion dollar bill. And it's like, what are we doing? So I was looking at uh, around Obama's term coming out of the the Mm -hmm. 2008 crash. They did, you know, threw a whole bunch of money at that situation. And the intent was to create jobs and all this Mm -hmm. other stuff. And I believe with the job creation, the taxes, ultimately you started to see this trend on the debt turning okay. and started to go back down. Um, 
So I think that's the goal here, you know, over the next 10 years to create all these jobs and increase the tax income. Uh, Looking at it on a grand scale, that seems to work. And that's my opinion. You know, other oh, people man. will have another their, podcast. Their, we got to go into that. Some other opinions, <laughs> You're the guy. You got to spend money to make money, right? <laughs> to, to an extent. Yeah, I know. But uh... in marketing, I'll give it to you from that. Uh, anyway, but so I think that's I'm OK with what they're trying to accomplish with that sum of money to a certain degree. Right. Mm-hmm. Whether or not we have the money is a whole nother dis- the, the topic. Fair. Maybe. No. So we'll, <laughs> we'll talk more later. But uh, thank you for the conversation, Jason. Thank you to the listeners for listening. We'll talk again on the next one. Thanks. Thanks again for listening. Don't forget to check out our sponsors. By checking them out and supporting them, you help us keep this show going. Thank you to Infratech Outdoor Comfort Heating for their support of this episode of Spaces Podcasts. Visit infratech-usa.com slash podcast to sign up for a free consultation and learn why Infratech is the choice for bringing indoor comfort to outdoor living. Spaces is part of the Gable Media Network. You can check out similar content at gablemedia.com. That's G-A-B-L media.com. If you enjoy our show, you can support us in three simple ways for free. You can leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or on your podcast app if it allows you to. Tell a friend and follow us on social media. Thanks for spending time with us. Talk soon. Hey, architecture firm owners and emerging leaders. Get ready for unparalleled insight into the development of a world-class architecture firm and a worldwide organization driving the digital transformation of the design and construction industry. With Build Smart, the podcast that's changing how our profession operates. We share the incredible stories behind innovation in the building industry with my friend and co-host, Patrick McLaney, FAIA, former CEO of the international architecture firm, HOK. You know, Yamasaki's office or firm lasted during his lifetime. And when he passed away, I think that was the end of the Yamasaki office. Helmut did not want that. He wanted a firm that would live out and grow beyond the founders. In season one, discover the untold stories behind HOK's meteoric rise. From 150 employees in St. Louis to a powerhouse with over 1,900 staff members and 27 offices worldwide. You know, they weren't as polite as the Kojima people. That was just boom. And anytime you have a creditor, whether it's Kojima or the bank, that wants their money, unless you can raise money someplace else, you are out of business. Bankrupt. Bankrupt. And hold on tight for season two, where Patrick takes us on a new adventure as chairman of Building Smart International, shaping the future of digital transformation in the design, construction, and operation of built assets. Ian Howell, Ken Harold, and I, Ken was my technical representative from HOK. The three of us took a tour of Europe of five cities in five days. Very busy time. Simply follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Build Smart Now and uncover lessons that will transform you and your architecture firm.